Hello and welcome to Room Escape Divas, your podcast on everything escape rooms. This week we are joined once again by Juliana Morena Patel and Ariel Rubin of the Wild Optimists. Woohoo! Welcome back! <laughs> Thank you so much for having us. We're so excited to be here. Yes, I am so excited. So you, like I mentioned, you have been on this podcast before, way back in the day, in the long, long ago uh, back. I can't even, that's that's what COVID has done to my brain. I can't think back past two years, but it was over two years ago uh, with your game, Escape Room in a Box, The Werewolf. Uh, oh gosh, The Werewolf Experiment. I did remember the name. There we go. And since then... You have exploded and become simply powerhouses of creativity and production and and just insanity. So for those who might not have listened to the first podcast and who don't or might not remember it, how about you introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about what you do? So I'm Juliana Rona Patel, and the Wild Optimists, we are a puzzle and game design company. So we are probably best known in the escape room community for the Escape Room in a Box series, which is a, an at-home, a series of at-home escape games from Mattel. But we also work on many other different things. We do uh, music festivals and conventions and marketing and PR for film and television and uh, consulting for theme parks and location-based entertainment and all sorts of things. And basically anywhere that you could put a puzzle in to increase audience engagement, let people be the hero, that's what we love to come in and do for all sorts of things. And I'm Arielle Rubin. Um, and I want to add to that that recently we expanded into at-home murder mystery. So we have the Escape Room in a Box series. And I know we're going to be talking about the latest one in there, which is Time Drifters. But we also have a new series of games for everybody, but also particularly for the Escape Room crowd, because you all are our people. Um, and, they, <laughs> and it goes into the murder mystery genre, which is been one of my favorites i recently got some um photo albums from my father from my childhood and apparently i had a murder mystery party when i was like 10 as a birthday party oh! i'm sure it was inappropriate i like i can't imagine what the you know adult how to host a murder that my parents bought <laughs> I when feel, i was 10 I, I, <laughs> I feel like that's a perfect 10 year old like party though i think errol had a murder mystery party for his daughter uh, when she was 10. And I know that when I was 10, I would have loved something like that. So I feel like so many of the the classic ones that we've done, that we've played, not the ones that we've made, but so many of the classic ones that we've played, there's always like 8 million love triangles of people all sleeping <laughs> with each other. So that might be awkward for a bunch of 10 years. That might be awkward. Well, yeah, I guess it depends on the type you play. Yeah. <laughs> or it could have just gone above our heads. I don't actually remember it. There's just, you know, there's photo evidence. <laughs> yeah. So some, something you, you maybe, maybe you repressed it. Maybe it was just that traumatizing. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. <laughs> At any rate, yes, uh, we have a lot to talk about. So, you know, since you you both were uh, were pretty ahead of the curve when it came to tabletop escape room games, uh, I think you were 
I, I can't, I don't like claiming, like, the first, but, like, at least one of the first ones. No, we were uh, the first. You were the first! <laughs> Amazing! Yes, yeah, we, so we, were... we were absolutely the first one, you know, who knows who was the first one to start developing an escape room game, but we were the first one on the market. Absolutely. Verifiable, you can look it up. And I remember when it first came out, and I remember, like, we, we played it and, and everything, and I remember thinking, this is a cool idea. And, of course... Since COVID, especially, uh, that market has simply exploded so much so that there are Facebook groups dedicated to it now and 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 everything. So that's that's amazing that you've been able to uh, to keep up and and to keep making them. Oh my gosh! You and you make so much more than just tabletop escape rooms as well. You make like experiences. You make. Uh, I saw on your website you made a like a puzzle book for the Invisible Man. That that intrigued oh, yeah. me. <laughs> that was like, I'm like, what is that? Because I saw the movie recently, so I was like, how do you, how do you do that? So you've had a a ton of games, a ton of experiences, and everything. But the most recent one that you've had uh, that really piqued my interest when uh, when I when I saw it was uh, it's called, and I think it's on sale now. It's called um, Escape Room in a Box: Time Drifters. And yeah, tell tell me a little bit about that because that's that's a really cool idea when I when I saw it. Sure. So, Escape Room in a Box Time Drifters is actually two completely separate games. So there is Kira's story and Isabel's story, and what it is is there's two totally separate games that you can play on your own, and when you finish them you unlock the components for a third secret joint game. So the way that that works is you can actually get over video chat with someone who has played the other game, or you can be in the same place. But what we love about it is that it does work over video chat, so you can play with your friends anywhere in the world. And one group will have the instructions that the other group will have the components for. So you need to really work together on every single puzzle in order to solve that third joint game that lives between the two games. And the other cool thing is they are only $15 a game. So you get essentially, yeah, it's essentially three full separate games, like the two individual games and then the joint game, still for the the typical escape room in a box price of $30. I was just going to say, it's incredible that Mattel managed to do that because we threw some much more, like the (laughs) components that are in these games are more complicated than have been in our previous games. And, you know, of course it's my own game. So what I love about my own, (laughs) you know, I think what does make escape room in a box stand out is we do have real components, you know, um, there are real, yeah, there are real locks. Although this one does not have any of your typical locks and I don't want to give anything away, but there's, yeah, yeah. Real ways in which thing or things um, can't be gotten at immediately. And it's very tangible. Um, and Mattel just did an incredible job manufacturing the craziest things that we came up with. Uh, and yeah, they're awesome. I, yeah, that was going to be one of my questions. Because like, I, I first, like, I, I guess this is another Mattel venture that you have. And uh, how how was that kind of selling the idea to them like we're not going to make one game we're going to make 
three. And <laughs> they actually <laughs> sold the idea to us. Like it was oh, really? super wow. early days of COVID. Like the lockdown had just hit. Everyone had kind of just started playing games online. And they were like, what about if there was a game that you could play between, you know, the two different people. And so it kind of evolved from there of like, yeah, you can have each has their own full separate game, but then that final joint game between the two. So credit to Mattel for being like, everyone's locked in, everyone wants to play games <laughs> with, uh, with people across the country and, you know, their friend down the street who they're no longer allowed to see. Uh, so how can we, how can we create a game for them? And I yes. have to say, when this idea first came up, I was sincerely hoping that it was going to be past um, past date by the time it came out. And we would all be <laughs> able to get back together. And this would just allow people, you know, with family or friends who they didn't get to see in person yeah. um, because they were a plane flight away to play, not because we were all still be locked in our houses. But here we are. So uh, it's still a very timely game. And I think... You know, credit really goes to, I want to call out specifically um, Brian, you and Nick Hayes at Mattel, who have been our team since the beginning um, and who are just, who are themselves big escape room fans and puzzle fans and are in this community and are really incredible. Yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's a fantastic idea. I, I can't imagine, and we'll, we'll get to the designing of it because I, I'm sure there's definitely like the complexities, uh, the fact that you have to have two separate games that work on their own and then they both have to work together um, is is pretty incredible. But even like even regular take home escape rooms, I would try and play them with friends online. Like I would hold take pictures of the components and like paste them in a, <laughs> or like we'd have a spreadsheet going and we'd be and and the fact that like both sides can have components and and work together on something that's uh, that's like uh, but they have unique components each that's very unique and uh, i haven't actually seen that during that come up during the pandemic other than your game no i don't think that there's another physical game that does it you know i think that there are a couple of virtual games that have yeah. some really great communication puzzles um but in terms of physical games i think that this is the only one and yeah designing it we can we can talk about it um and you can ask specific questions but there were times when i was just like curled up in a ball like this is too complicated <laughs> how do we make this work it is I, by far just keeping track of everything mm. was one of the most complicated endeavors um and particularly puzzle design endeavors that julianne and i have done yeah, how do you beta test for something like that? Because you'd almost have to have like double the beta testers to to be able to it, see. It was hard. So we play tested the two games separately. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it was a lot of, so this is early days of COVID. So we didn't know how much it would be like if you, um, it, how much COVID was transferred from touching so there was a lot of dropping. We had, how many prototypes did we make? We made maybe two or three prototypes of each game because we would drop it off at someone's house and then they would let it sit there for two or three days just in case it had COVID on it, right? We didn't know. Mm -hmm. 
And oh, we did, wow. you know, we, yeah, I didn't even think about that, right? Careful. Yeah. So there was a lot of like driving, dropping it off on someone's porch. It would sit there. Then they would take it in and play it. But then also to schedule the playtesting once we got to the full thing, well, you have, you're trying to schedule two different teams playing at the same time, right? right? The, the two games, of course, they never took exactly the same amount of time to play. People play at different speeds. They were playing different puzzles. And yeah. then you wanted them to get on Zoom and play this third game. Um, you know, and at first the games were vastly different times. This is something we fixed during playtesting. But it was just the organization um, of the playtesting was insanely complicated, almost as complicated. I was, I was saying there were times when I just, you know, could not deal with the puzzle design. I was dealing, uh, I did the tile puzzles <laughs> and because some of the components in this are so complicated and expensive, we re a lot of the elements within the games get reused. Which is also, which I think is really fun. I think it's fun when you get to see to use something in one way and then use it in another way. Oh, I like, yeah, I love that. Right, it's always great, right? But then when you are taking, what was it, um, sixteen tiles and saying, okay, these sixteen tiles need to do four different puzzles, so these they need to look like this. Okay, wait, I need to change this one thing on one puzzle. Oh crap, that just ruined the other one. You know, <laughs> the other two puzzles. It was oh, a lot. Yeah. Right. Right, the cascading effect. And so did you guys have, like, um, I guess would you say you were on your floor curled up in a ball? Did you have, I've heard somebody refer to it was before as, like, the 3 a.m. crying calls when they, when people, when, like, to, I, I, it was from a brewery that, like, did a talk at a conference somewhere, and they talked about, like, calling their business partners at 3 a.m. just like weeping because they're like how is this going to work <laughs> i was just gonna say it was also the beginning of the pandemic and our children are suddenly home all of oh, the time God, yeah yeah so we were trying kids. to work and watch our kids mm. and, and this work was exploding which was great but like you know everyone who had been planning to do in person things was like now we need a cool at home fun thing that people could do. Yeah. Oh wait, you guys know how to do that. So yeah. like, where is it, Wild Optimists? Yeah. Where? <laughs> so Why don't you have it now? <laughs> trying to trying to balance all of it and yeah, keep in mind like okay, if we change this one thing on this one tile, how does it affect the other sixteen tiles? And then how does it affect the joint game down the line? Like having kind of all of these separate games with all of these same pieces was really just, you know, absolutely brain frying. So we had a lot of like, what are we doing? I don't think we were crying, but we were definitely like, I don't, I can't like, there were definitely times where it was like, I can't look at this anymore. Like you need to, you need to fix this. Cause I can't deal with it. I cannot look at it. One of the wonders of being two of us. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say like it, it kind of like having a having a fresh set of eyes on something like you could pass it back and forth almost to to uh, once once the other one recover <laughs> once the other one like has had a bit of time away from the puzzle and then can like look at it again. Yeah, definitely helped. <laughs> yeah. So in terms of designing it, then like apart apart from like weeping on the. You know, or like apart from curling up on the floor, <laughs> which, um, uh, when when it comes to designing something like that, um, 
you know, because having the two standalone games and then having one that kind of works together, what were... Let's look on the positive. What were some of the more rewarding moments in in designing, like when when you um when you were actually like when when something actually worked and you were like this seems really cool and unique and I'm proud of it. I always love in the in the design process. Like one of my absolute favorite favorite parts of this job ever is just in the in the very beginning when we've worked out the the story. Um, so we know what the story is, we know who the characters are, and then we both kind of individually will come up with a bunch of different puzzles that we think could work in this story and could work with these characters. And then having uh, a sit down session together where we walk each other through like all the different puzzles that we've been thinking of and then organize how it's all going to flow together into a game that I I just absolutely love that like kind of wide open blue sky part of it that's also my favorite part too I I always love the that that moment and so you you mentioned the narrative so is it is it a single narrative like despite being separate at first like does is it a narrative that kind of joins together at the peak yes it's two women Kira and Isabel Mm-hmm. And they um, are time travelers, and they get and their time machine breaks. So one group will be play, is playing as Kira, one group is playing as Isabel, and they're each trying to fix their half of the time machine so that they can reunite and be together again. So the um, two separate games are fixing the time machine, and then the third game is how do you re- how do they reunite? That's really cute. And like during a time of COVID too, like the theme of reuniting is kind of a hopeful one. So <laughs> I really like I really I really like that idea <laughs> of uh, uh I of just I wanna go back to to uh an, just another thought that came in of uh another mm-hmm. really cool moment in the design process was actually working with Nick Hayes at Mattel and mm. trying to find um, because we did not want to do a standard lock, uh, like a combo lock that has been in mm-hmm. many of the other games. And so, you know, trying to do something that was different, yet at the same time fit the price point, like we now had half as much money <laughs> for each game. Um, right. And so being like, well, what if we did this? And what if we did that? And so we're like that, that um that session of working all together and saying like what about this mechanism or what if this worked and figuring out a way to create something that was different and that worked for the game and that would be uh kind of still deliver that cool tangible feeling like when we got there that was really exciting that's cool so you you basically you had the the a budget for a single game still that you'd have to split into two essentially that's yeah <laughs> <laughs> I mean, limitations are are the uh, foundation of creativity, often. So that's for sure. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, I was just gonna, uh, just in terms of things that are satisfying. Well, it was well, we had some moments of incredible frustration when it all came together, and we could see these, you know, components that all did work together and did solve to the same things, and then worked with these other pieces. It was incredibly satisfying. You know, it just, 
it feels really good and comprehensive. So how many iterations of the game do you think you had to go through to get to that point? I'm sure a few, but <laughs> you both, oh my but gosh. For, for the listeners, um, the faces I'm being shown right now are <laughs> of great uncertainty. We always go through so many different iterations of a game. Like we always say games are made in playtesting. Like the, mm-hmm. the blue sky open, just creating and designing is all super fun, but to actually make the game, like it's all, about iteration after iteration in playtesting and and seeing what makes the most fun. Yeah, I agree with that. I think I think we've talked about it many oh, times on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of like in terms of fun, that was incredible to see because I assume that most people, obviously, who are playing this game will uh, play the joint game with friends or family. But for our playtesting purposes, in a lot of cases, you know, some of sometimes they knew each other, but a lot of cases we were just putting strangers together and being like, play the joint oh, yeah. game. Um, and seeing even strangers like really kind of have fun together and kind of lift each other up and be like, oh, you got this. That's so cool. And now like when things really got cooking in the joint game and seeing how even strangers were having so much fun together was really rewarding. I could see that being a a thing in the community too. If, if, especially if you, if you have maybe family and friends who are not into puzzle games and who don't really know whether they want to like commit, I could maybe see that like posting in a discord group or a, a Facebook group of some sort to say, Hey, does anybody have the other half of this game or does anyone want to play it with me and, and uh, organizing that together. And yeah, like you said, like it, it could be interesting to see how strangers play with each other as well as friends. Yeah. I'd love for there to be a matchmaking site out there. <laughs> Just put in like have Kira's game looking to play like Wednesday nights at eight. Who's available. <laughs> <laughs> So I am curious, like you've worked with Mattel and uh, for years, for years now, since, since that first game, how has the, well, especially like, because it's, it's more of the mainstream media and, and that kind of thing, how has designing for them changed over the years? And do you find that, especially during COVID, that the, the market has simply increased for this type of game? I'll, let me answer the market question. Yeah. First, which is that it's hard to know. I assume the market has increased, but because, but it's hard to track that precisely because um, production and shipping has been so radically um, yes. like screwed over that yeah. I, you know, unfortunately, at a time when I think so many more people would be buying it, it's not able to um, just games in general. This is across the board. Um, yeah it's not able to be produced, you know, As and I don't know if you've yeah. read these articles about like how many ships are in the LA Harbor and just not being unloaded. Um, right. So I wouldn't say in terms of numbers, like it, it looks like an explosion, unfortunately, because I think, you know, if, if it was unbalanced and we were able to produce to like the number of people who are talking about it, um, the numbers would be greatly increased. Um, in terms of Juliana, do you want to talk about change of design? 
Yeah, I don't know that it has changed too radically. Um, the The way that we generally, if people are curious, like the j- way that we generally work with Mattel is, you know, they'll kind of come to us and be like, here's some rough skeleton like with flashback Mm -hmm. it was werewolf obviously they bought the the full game that we had made they licensed the game that we had already made for kickstarter um but with flashback they were like here's a bunch of random plastic pieces that we have from other games make (laughs) an escape room out of them and we're like cool cool uh and with this they came to us and they were like we want two games that then can be played as a third game by people in different spaces. Um, and so they'll come to us with like this general idea. And then we will do essentially a deck of here's the basic outline of, you know, what the story would be, how some of the puzzles um and go, make sure we're all on the same page with that. And then we'll do a more in-depth, like, okay, we've mapped out. Here's essentially a puzzle map and the full game flow. Uh, just clear that by them. Then we go off and we make the prototype and we do a ton of playtesting. Um, and then once we get that to a really good place, we turn that over to Mattel and then they do all of the art and the graphic design and the final plastic pieces and everything like that. And then they turn it back over to us and we do more playtesting just to make mm. sure that all of that final art and <laughs> graphic design and beautiful, you know, swirling cursive script in the background that the artist thought looked so cool and 100% looks like a puzzle, like, <laughs> needs to be taken out. Um, so we, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll do final playtesting of that and then, you know, say, okay, here's the, the final version and that's what goes into mass manufacturing. that's so cool so yeah like whereas before it was it was more it like right now it's more like yeah mattel has an idea you follow up on it you have your own ideas and it's it's a great collaboration it sounds like yeah we really love the team there yeah yeah i was gonna say i think you know and a lot of times the way game companies work is they'll have a need or a brief Mm -hmm. you know we want a game that's you know a party game for birthday parties for 10 year olds or whatever it is. And so I think that's, that's sort of what we're getting from Mattel, but very specifically, you know, we want the next escape room in a box to fit this box, particularly (laughs) what does that look like to you? And what's wonderful is we're not competing against other people um, for whatever that is. And I think the biggest thing that's changed and, um, I feel like I'm fawning over them too much this this podcast, but it's too true. Um, is that you, we've just become incredibly close with uh, Brian and Nick and, and Naomi, who's now at Hasbro, and they've just become like some of our favorite people. And it's I can't I couldn't be happier that we started this relationship with them so long ago. I mean, that's the ideal, right? You don't you don't want to have to like. It's better to be like fawning than like trying to hide your true feelings for, <laughs> for the people you work with. <laughs> so. Well, they're just like, they just get it. I like, you know, I know there have definitely been times where Nick's like, yeah, you know, I I don't, 
like the looking at this from like a cost perspective and like from a you know essentially like a business perspective mm-hmm. uh, this this isn't going to work but then he's like but let's figure it out let's find oh, a way to like you know finagle this this way or that way and really just like it feels as though they are e- like super committed to making these really cool fun games and and they get it and they get what we're going for and that's just such a pleasure to work with nice that's fantastic i'm gonna shift gears a little bit here so uh there were two games and i apologize i have to like quickly quickly glance at my notes crimes and capers there it is (laughs) i was like crimson carpers ah crap (sighs) um (laughs) So you have another game, and I'm excited to talk about this one as well. Uh, and I think it's useful to talk about because I'm a sucker for this genre, and I rarely, I think it's so hard to do in games, is uh, the murder mystery genre. And I have played many an escape room that attempts to be like a murder mystery and kind of been like, okay. I've played many a video game that's a murder mystery and thought, Okay. <laughs> it's it's such a hard thing to write. I'm even trying to write one still and it's it's just like yeah. So I I am curious about this murder mystery game you have because you mentioned a few things about it that are different from your typical take home murder mystery game that you play with your friends one night where everybody dresses up in I don't know speakeasy type clothes and well some of that some of you know those the look the dressing up is the fun part we oh that's the fun part absolutely don't worry they'll get to dress up if you want to oh Um, yeah this game game came from julianne and i came up with this game years ago like much a really long time ago and we you know just kind of put together a prototype we both love the murder mystery genre yeah we're like well here's the thing you have the murder mystery genre right and you get to dress up and you get to play a character and you get to solve a mystery. But I'm putting solve a mystery in quotes because in most of these, you don't actually get to solve anything. It's a very fun improv party where yeah. at the end, the murderer is told they're the murderer and everyone else is basically told who the murderer is. Mm. Super mm. fun, but you, but it's not really solving. Yeah. So we were like, well, how do you do this? How do you take all of the awesome parts of this, but you actually get to solve the murder, solve the mystery? Um, and so that, and so we just played with that, and we created a prototype. Uh, and it's we'll, we'll talk more about the details in a minute, but it ended up on a shelf because we got really busy with other stuff, which is fantastic, and I am so grateful for our business where that happens. Um, a few years later, we ended up meeting Scott uh, Gator, who runs Renegade. And we were talking about puzzles, and he also loves puzzle games. And he had worked on the old How to Host a Murder. So those, those were like his first, ga- his first job, I think, in the game industry. Mm-hmm. And he's like, have you two ever thought about doing a modern take on these games? And we're like, nice. oh, we, we have it. It, Did you just all- like whip out all of the, all of the <laughs> notes at that point? <laughs> almost. Yeah. We almost immediately scheduled to go down um, to San Diego where Renegade is based and have them play, play the prototype. And it was so great meeting the team. And it was so much fun. 
and they immediately got three um, bought three games that we started developing with them. So our prototype uh, that that plot was pretty unusable, but so we worked with Renegade to figure out what the stories would be for the series, you know, mm. and how how do we make it work in the mass market? You know, what plots do we think people would respond to? So we have two that are already out: High School Hijinks and Lady Leona's Last Wishes, uh, and Ew. we have. Did I say it? I, I always mess it up. It's Lady Leona's. No, Last Wishes. It, it is Last Wishes. That yes. uh, Lady Leona's blank has changed a couple times. Um, <laughs> and then we have Award Show that's coming out very yeah. soon. That one is called And the Winner is Dead. Ah. <laughs> the type name is Award Show. <laughs> Much better and more clever name that we did not funny. come up with, that Renegade <laughs> came up with, is. Yeah. And the winner is dead. dead. That's perfect. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so what what were some of the um having like you say, you're you're fans of the murder mystery genre, especially the I like I, I poked fun at the the those take those old take home games, but I always had a ball playing them with my friends. Um what were some of your had you written one before or have you have you in, engaged in this genre before or was this your first time? We played them before, like we were mm-hmm. we were definitely players, but uh, this was our first take on on writing one, right, Ariel? You're you're squinting. Well, you're we talking. had <laughs> we had, we had worked for the minute about on um, developing what would have been a live show, and it didn't end up. So we had thought about the concept before, um, and. And I think that that's where, you know, one of the biggest differences with these games from the old How to Host the Murders is nobody um, nobody who's playing is the murderer or, or committed the crime. So you have, you have a list of suspects, mm-hmm. uh, or in Lady Leona's, it's, it's a slightly different take on it. But um, you know who you are and you have all the information about your character from the beginning. Um, so you are cooperatively solving to mm. figure out uh, to to figure out what happened. I really like that idea because I feel like as much fun as I had with those, the problem with with those games is first I would be super stressed out if I was going to be the murderer because it meant I had to keep a secret. And if there's one thing I'm really bad at, it's um, you know keeping calm under pressure and, and <laughs> keeping a straight face at the best of times and that and if you happen to get somebody who was assigned as the murderer who just did not know what to do with that information like it's a toss-up right you'll either get somebody who's super into that idea and will like you know be the most cunning villain alive or you'll get somebody who really is stressed out at the idea of improv like myself uh who will be like i don't know who did it i just it could be anybody it's not me and and, and, uh, and immediately give yourself away so the idea that like nobody knows who the murderer is nobody like nobody amongst your group is the murderer but you do have to work together is is kind of nice yeah, we wanted yeah, and- it to be the sort of game that everyone is working to solve, right? Because yeah. we figure the people who are buying these games are the people who want to solve the mystery. So give everyone a chance to solve it. 
put your deductive reasoning in there. And and what's what's playtesting a murder mystery like? Did you find that there were people who like guessed it right away and and you'd have to put other things in there or no, they were they were pretty good with uh Ariel's shaking her head. Um, I mean it was so. it was an it was so it was an interesting development process because the way the games work is everyone's given text for their characters. So in high school hijinks you're given the notes that you passed to other um to your friends that day. You know, mm-hmm. between classes. In Lady Leona's Last Wishes, you're given a diary and in um and the winner is dead, you're given uh, your character's tweets. Or, you know, oh, social media oh, posts. Social oh, media posts. Yeah. <laughs> not, not, not Twitter. Social not Twitter. It's posts. more like Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> <that's it. laughs> uh, and so you have all of this information and you're given um, a number of puzzles that you have to solve. Like a, more like escape room puzzles. Mm-hmm. And that tells you what information you're going to need to pull out from all of your um, different writings. So when we were play testing, some of those puzzles were easier or harder. So first, of course, we just make sure everything's playable, right? That it works. Mm. Um, but we started play testing at four players, and the game technically, it, what it says on the box is it goes up to six. I'll say in play testing, we had multiple groups play where more than one person played a character. So the games really can go up to twelve very easily. Um, Partly mm-hmm. because it's cooperative, so it's like it's okay yeah. if two people play one character. Yeah. Um, and but we started at the four, and then anything that was fair but difficult, we gave more information to the fifth and sixth characters. Um, okay. So the game has more narrative and more information at five and six players, but is also a bit easier. Uh, interesting. So you and that was you an interesting playtesting process. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. And and so nobody misses anything if they well, like other than the extra bit of narrative that they might get. But if you if you have the more players you have, the more the you might get a different experience than than a group of like three, for instance. Yeah, and it was also really interesting playtesting. Just while we're talking about playtesting, because it was during the pandemic, so I don't oh, think yeah. in. In non-pandemic world, I would never have thought of these games as virtual, but we did all the playtesting virtually. So Renegade has put out the materials um, online so you can play virtually. It is very fun. Yeah, so if one person buys the game, there is a code inside every box that they can go to the website, input the code, and then everyone else will get PDFs of the materials that they need uh, yeah. and be able to move through the game in that same way. Because it was really fun watching people playtest this virtually. You know, you you absolutely don't have to. Like, I'll say that. This game can 100% be fully played, you know, if you don't want to be a character and you just want to be like, okay, well, this character says this and mm-hmm. this, and you want to just go through and get the information and do the solving of the mystery, it works that way. But there were so many groups in our playtesting who just went all out with like the costumes and the Zoom backgrounds <laughs> to really make it oh, look like man. exactly where they should be. Um, and seeing people come together in that way was great. 
That was something during our events that I always enjoyed is is watching people either like immediately be into it or even just slowly get into it. Like people who came in not expecting to role play or anything like that, or maybe even were a bit shy about it, but then like they would kind of slowly get into the into the mood and and, uh, and try it out. And by the end, they were like taking on their own character that they'd made up in their head. So yeah, that would be so much fun. I'm only I'm just imagining now what Errol would do during the game and he would <laughs> he would probably be a more of a hindrance than anything but he would very much get into the role play aspect of it. <laughs> yeah, we had one I had one group for uh, Lady Leona's last wishes where they were like they all put on accents and they used the accents the entire time and it was just they were a bunch of role players but so committed. <laughs> oh that is fantastic and, and that's that's super fun too because murder mysteries always have the best settings ever <laughs> they're always just so much fun to create uh settings for like i see a lot of speakeasies out there but like you know winter cabins uh <laughs> mansions yeah it was fun, fun we got to collaborate with renegade we sent them a list of like 20 different worlds, right? Because we had to yeah. think, okay, what's a world that is going to have, you know, six characters that are very different from one another, but that mm -hmm. all really fit in these worlds. So we sent that list to Renegade, and then we kind of worked together to say, what should the first three of these be? What's a good assortment? Um, and so, yeah, it's really, we ended up with the 1990s high school the upstairs downstairs like gosford park and then the music award show 90s high and school has me excited so i could feel super nostalgic about yeah. well <laughs> and you should see renegade did not skimp on like the box or the design at all so it's yeah. so cool because you open the box and yeah. inside is a 90s locker like with all yes! the graffiti and stuff <laughs> on it and so that's what's locked you have to you know unlock this girl's locker and this is not too much of a spoiler but like the, the inside of the box is also fully designed so you can imagine i'm sure everyone remembers what their lockers looked like in high school with everything oh, yeah. on the inside right so yeah. it it was so fun watching that come together and everyone we we're on a slack they do slack channels for organizing their game so everyone on the slack was like oh i remember this from high school we should put that in the locker <laughs> please please tell me there's like uh whatever those those folders or those posters of like unicorns in the sky uh i i just i had i had too many of those romy's <laughs> not much of a unicorn girl Romy's not a, a Lisa Frank punk. girl. Yeah. Not, that's a Nirvana Lisa girl Frank. more than Lisa Frank. <laughs> oh, I was a big Lisa Frank person. <laughs> Unfortunately for everybody. <laughs> um, so I am uh, I'm also curious then about because I'm a narrative nut and and you are both very you know, you, you put a lot of effort into your narratives. Um I'm I'm always curious about like the iceberg theory when you're creating your worlds when you're creating your characters and everything um how much of it would you consider actually makes it into the game versus everything else that doesn't necessarily make it into the game but 
can does affect the design in a way like that that helps you in your in your design process because usually i know that when i create things uh and when arrow creates things it's like we'll create backstories for everything and maybe players might see 10 percent of it because <laughs> of just because of the limitations of design yeah i think the design process so there's you know there's everything that's there that you've created and that you know about the character and then it goes both ways through playtesting where you see oh okay this thing that you know is so clear in my head and actually they do somewhat need it for the story <laughs> like okay let's put in let's see a little bit more information about this thing and then other things where you're like oh well, I, I put that in because that's just who the character is but it's really throwing people and they're really latching onto it and thinking that it's a <laughs> super important yeah. thing that is going to be the key to solving everything so you have to call that and you know prune it back a bit before uh, so that yeah I think playtesting is really about seeing how much of the iceberg needs to be revealed and how much needs to be under the water. Yeah, because narrative can be similar to that uh, scrolling beautiful text um, right. that is unreadable <laughs> and looks just like a puzzle that we mentioned earlier. I think we we do that often with narrative where we put in something that we love, some detail about a character or the narrative that makes it deeper or makes it better or you know better to me right um yeah. that yeah. we're in love with but it just it throws the players too much and they don't really oh. care or yeah. a way of speaking like I, there were definitely mm. words and like vernacular that we put in there because it felt so in character but it was like too deep in the 90s rabbit hole and <laughs> people were like what is that i'm curious yeah i wonder if like Oh, I'm just, I'm being an old person now. Like, if Gen Z played this 90s game, is there going to be slang in there that, like, uh, that they get thrown off by? Or, I don't think, I don't know. Well, we always, always try to have playtesters, like, in yeah. a different, in a wide variety, right? Like, older and younger, just to make sure that it's not going to super throw younger yeah. or I will older say that, people. Like, pound, you can't use pound to mean number anymore. You just can't. It's hashtag. And That's like true, everyone yeah. will read it that way, even though we should know that it, you know, is number sign, right? Yeah, yeah. Or pound. So um, that's that's one we've come across. I'm trying to think of the others. I had a very fun couple days of watching clips of 90s movies. Like, okay, <laughs> I'm writing the jock today. You know, who are the jocks I want to base this on? Like pulling up like, you know, AC Slater. I think I watched some Bring It On. Like, oh man, AC Slater. Bring It On's a little bit later. Anyway, yeah, it was fun. Oh, Varsity <laughs> Blues was on the list. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's I all know. that. Like all those. 90s. She's all that. Oh, yeah. oh, She's all that. She's God. all that. Was a key. Was a um a key one to listen for the lingo. Like ten things I hate about you. Yes. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, oh, Buffy. Buffy. I think Buffy's you were. Yeah, Buffy. Yeah, Buffy. Buffy's like late nineties and that. Yeah. Um, and there, there, those are the things too. Where again, I'm being old now. I'm just like, I think, of course, everybody knows about this, and it's now. No, I'm at that age now where it's like, no, not everybody knows about it. In fact, you're kind of seen as archaic. Now, and I'm I like, said Care Bear stare to someone the other day, and he had no idea what I was talking about. And I was like, what well, is wrong well, with you? 
Well, he what? should because Care Bears is back now, and oh, it's I like didn't know they were back. Yeah, I have nieces, and they watch it apparently. And I'm like, really? Is Care Bears a thing? It's computer generated show now. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I made that face too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just like it's not the real Care Bears. So. Yeah, it's not so. like computer generated bears. <laughs> I know. It's oh, weird. but if we bring these stuff back, like, can someone bring back Rainbow Bright? I'm just gonna put that out there. Mm. I think well, Rainbow Bright should be brought back. Rainbow <laughs> Rock is coming back. That's very exciting. Is it? Yeah. Oh my god. This has now become the nineties nostalgia podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the nineties podcast. <laughs> Hi everyone. We were cool in the nineties. I actually wasn't, no, but was definitely you know. not cool. Yeah. <laughs> At any rate, that, that sounds super fun. Uh, did you find it difficult to um when writing a murder mystery? Like when you when you the solution, for instance, right? Like who done it? Obviously, you're not going to give that away. But in the process of writing it, did you find it? Uh, did you find it difficult to kind of hide it, but still make it have it make sense? Or um, I know that, like, also designing puzzles for it, right? Like having puzzles be part of the murder mystery is not a typical thing either. Um, and I'm sure that, like, it's. Uh, it's easy for people to go down rabbit holes of their theories and that kind of thing. I'd say the puzzles didn't throw people off as much because the way in high school hijinks the puzzles are used is Romy has been taken to the principal's office. She's been framed by one of the staff members. So she has left puzzles for how to get into her locker. So those we were able to get pretty clear. And I think people, you know, and people are able to figure that out. It, it was difficult to get that balance of figuring um, of who frames Romy to make it like the right level of difficulty. And without giving anything away, uh, it is one of those, it did turn out to be a case where I'm really glad we got to play test with the final art because uh, it did need to change. And if it, you know, it was, that is such an important step and, it hadn't come up in a while, but in this case, uh, we ended up really needing that final play test. That's a good point. Like, is there ever anything that gives too much away? And I feel like, oh, look at that. I wonder if it's this. And you're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's too early to guess. Uh, I was just going to say, what has been funny about this one is people will look at the suspects and be like, they look the most you know, yeah. suspicious. It's definitely them. It's like, wait a second. All the suspects look suspicious. Our artists did a good job. Uh, yeah, it's just so tricky because all, you know, every group plays very differently. So trying mm -hmm. to get that, you know, hit that sweet spot where it's tricky enough, but as you say, it still makes sense. But also at the same time, knowing that some of your playtest groups are just going to be crazy sharp and they're just going to mm. get it way faster than you expect. And then some of your playtest groups are just really going to struggle. <laughs> and so, you know, <laughs> trying to get that right level of difficulty while also keeping in mind, like, well, this group, you know, they, they might have never gotten it. <laughs> so, like, it's not that that's too difficult. Or, like, this group would solve it no matter what. Like, that's, mm -hmm. that's a really hard thing to, to balance. I think it's a discussion Juliana and I often have is, you know, after a play test, 
the if a group really had trouble with something and we saw like pain, um, the impulse is to change whatever that thing is right away. But that can mm. have a cascading effect too. And so it's generally not the right call. Generally, we should look, we should play test again. And if another group has the same problem, then yeah, we need to change it. Um, right. You know, unless it's a glaring error, like a typo or something. No, that makes sense. You were, you were talking about like, you know, some people are really sharp. I was playing this video game, which if you haven't tried it, you should definitely try it. I just watched, uh, I, I I bought it for uh, Bill and Danny to have them stream it as well of, of uh, Escape This Podcast. And it's called Contradiction. It's a murder mystery video game. It is lovely and cheesy and if you've ever played full motion video games uh like video games where they actually tape actors live um like it it's in this vein but it was made recently anyway um there's a scene in it where like the the concept of the game is that you're trying to spot lies so you'll interview suspects and then you have to figure out based on what you've learned like what the contradictions are like you know like ah oh, you said that you you know drove your car to the sea but you also said that you hate salt water or something something like that <laughs> that's right? such a fun idea i <laughs> love that idea yeah. yeah yeah and so there but there was one scene in it uh after i finished playing it i had my friend play it and they spotted something you can actually technically solve it real early um or you could probably get the answer really early and i and my friend noted this thing that he found and i was like ah oh god are you gonna solve this like you know 30 minutes into a to like a good six hour game and <laughs> and he didn't he like made note of it and then just didn't uh, just forgot about it, and, and uh, I was like, "That's very impressive." Because <laughs> I was like so worried, and I was sitting there like, "Damn you!" I but then I was mad too because I didn't notice that detail when I first played. I, I like I I first played, and I'm just like derp de doop, and I wandered <laughs> around and questioned people, and I didn't notice this one thing, and I was like, "Oh man!" Well, I and will say too, it. people are expecting you know, a full experience. So like hearing about your friend, even though they might have found this one thing, mm -hmm. they're still thinking, ha, ah, but that, you know, to think that's it and I've solved it 30 minutes in doesn't feel right, you know? So yeah. I think we did have a number of groups where they had kind of figured out what they thought it was, but then they would go back and be like, let's just all go back in and make sure that we fully understand and let's talk through like each of the suspects, what could it be and what's stopping mm -hmm. it from being them. And so they'll, they'll make it their own like full experience by doing that, like doubling back and making sure that they have everything right. Cause you only get one shot at the final guess, you know? Ooh, yeah. Yeah. That's very true. And I'll say the other thing is, you know, something that I often see is it's off is often in playtesting, there'll be someone who very quietly says the correct answer. And they're like, well, maybe I think it could be this person. <laughs> and everyone just sort of ignores them. Oh, and, yeah. You know, yeah. I'm sitting there like, they, they should say, I just want to be like, hey, say that louder. No, you're right. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, you have to have confidence, you know, the confidence of your convictions in these things. That's very true. For for us, that that person in the group is. Although, 
we just uh, that for us that person is is Errol's daughter Echo, um, but she doesn't quietly say it. She very loudly says it, and <laughs> for some reason we just never listen to her. And because then, of the daughter, she- I've seen this in playtesting multiple times on all <laughs> across the board, where a child says exactly the right thing, and the parents are like, "We're trying to solve a thing." They're like <laughs> shooing them away, yeah. And I'm like, "Your child knows exactly what they should be doing." <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So the like these are the two experiences we talked of. Um, so you have a lot on the go. What have what have you learned over the last few years about your own uh, about your work and that kind of thing? How do you feel you've best improved, and what are you most looking forward to for the future? That's a big question, I know. So don't worry if the answer is I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I would say most improved is I think that we have gotten better at workflow. We used to do everything together, and as we've gotten busier, that's been impossible to do. So sort of the ability to say, okay, I love that project, but you do it. And I'm going to work on this project. Mm -hmm. You know, we both are very involved in everything. Generally, we do the first steps together. But I think that we have gotten better at trading off and, um, and, and therefore being able to do more work because we're not doing everything, um, at the same time together. Yeah. And that's important because you also have kids. I can't imagine. I don't know. Like, I feel busy sometimes. And then I remember that other people have children. And I'm like, how how are they doing that? (laughs) Children in the pandemic. I feel like my friends without kids are like, I'm learning French. And today I painted a canvas. And I'm like, I'm barely surviving. (laughs) Like, trying to homeschool and, like, do everything. And then also, like, have a business that was exploding, which I'm really grateful for. But, like, it was it was a lot. <laughs> yeah, my, my sister, my niece just, she's in kindergarten. And she, uh, we just have another lockdown in Ontario now. And so the kids have to school from home. And uh, I think I've never had more respect for kindergarten teachers than trying to teach a bunch of four and five-year-olds to unmute things and oh, or yeah. to mute themselves. <laughs> and to, I was like, oh my God. So trying to organize that and also work at the same time. It, that's, that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was, it was probably helpful in some ways that we were so crazed and busy because wh- I know I definitely have a tendency to want to micromanage and have my hands in everything and it was just physically impossible so I was like fine just do the thing (laughs) I won't I won't micromanage it because I don't have time (laughs) trading off and on sounds like a very good strategy um Um, and then in terms of what we're moving on to that was the other part of the question right yeah that was um we can't talk about a lot of it and I think in in a in a kind of exciting way. So we are sticking, you know, we have some games we're developing that we're really excited about. So tabletop games. Um mm-hmm. and, you know, so more puzzle games, games of other in other genres. Um I think both of my kids have decided they want to be game designers. So ah! there's um and I know uh Juliana's kids are also like all of our kids are um having ideas and so I think so we have some ideas that our kids could play and that we have been play testing with them so there's a lot of fun tabletop ideas 
And then, you know, we are excited about and trying to go and I'm figuring out how to say this without giving, without, (laughs) you know, messing up any NDAs, but we are always trying to do new things. And I would say bigger things that, that that's exciting because I think something I've learned about myself is I can't do the, if this is creative work, I can't just do the same thing over and over. It will mm. start to feel rote. So mm. for me, I really love doing a tabletop game and then a music festival course we're not doing music festivals at this particular moment because we would all get COVID um but you know doing very different projects that all involve puzzles and then they they all tend to feed on each other and I feel like all of our projects get better as we do things in more and more mediums so I would say that that's that is our goals for the company is to continue expanding into new mediums and doing bigger projects that's such a great thing to hear because you're absolutely right. It it's it's good to to both branch out and experiment and uh, experiment with your creativity, experiment with different mediums because that's you know that's that's what makes it worth going on and get, discovering new things. So I'm really excited to hear that, and I can't wait. Uh, I think that I think that statement was vague enough to make me excited, but have no clue what's going on. So I think <laughs> I think you're pretty safe. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining me here today and for talking about your projects and and talking about these new unique mechanics that we that uh, that are going to be fun to play. If people would like to check out your games, where can they go? The easiest way is to go to our website, uh, wildoptimist.com, and that's optimist plural because there are two of us. So wildoptimist.com has links to all of our products. Um, You can also follow us. We're probably most active on Instagram, and that is at The Wild Optimists. Uh, We're also on Facebook slash Wild Optimists or Twitter slash escape room inbox because you could not have the a because that was too much so escape room inbox um (laughs) and you know all of our games escape room in a box crimes and capers our other game uh hello neighbor the secret neighbor party game uh those can all be found on amazon and uh various like barnes and noble and target and all all of the standard places you would go to buy games Fantastic. Well, thank you once again, and I will talk us out. Room Escape Davis is brought to you by Inverse Genius. You can go to inversegenius.com to find other fun podcasts just like this one. You can also email us at roomescapedivas at gmail.com. I love getting emails. Uh, if you are on Facebook, you can look up Room Escape Divas and click the like button. Every Friday evening, we have community meetups in which we simply discuss escape rooms, uh, other games, tabletop things, and everything in between. Sometimes a lot of COVID things where we compare how COVID is around different parts of the world. Um, so that's 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time every Friday night. And if you are using Twitter, you can use the hashtag REDivas. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. <laughs>